Time now for the Aggie Guys Sports Spectacular with your hosts, Larry Smith, Brad Sturdy, and Mike Keglin. And we're off and running yet again. Larry Smith, Brad Sturdy, Mike Kegley. We are loaded with special guests this week. Foundation's Cole Thompson breaks down the bowl picture for us. Heisman Trophy winner Danny Warfel is here to talk about this year's race for the top individual honor in college football. It'll be awarded Saturday night uh, at the Downtown Athletic Club in New York City. And the first of my two-part interview with Eric Kramer, the former NFL quarterback, attempted suicide several years ago, and thankfully he failed. His story uh, is uh, coming up. And it's one that's worth hearing, so we hope that you'll stick around for that. Uh, we now know AM facing Oklahoma State in the Texas Bowl in Houston on December 27th. Uh, so it's a busy week in Aggie football. Yeah, the Aggies. You know, it, coaching changes are always tough uh, at in college football because, especially this time of year, that's why you have to get your new guy in place. The portal opens. You've got high school recruiting, trying to sign guys, um, preparing for bowl games, all these crazy things going on. And you're trying to put it all together. I, I think in this case, Texas A&M is trying to keep everybody in, in place because we know they have talent, but they've already lost. Uh, last check, Mike, I think they've lost 11 guys in the transfer portal, some guys that obviously are going to uh, hurt them. But they also know that they are they have a huge NIL chest and they can go out and get guys in the portal who can really make a difference for them. Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised that the losses in the portal are as big as they are. Because Mike Elko was only at Duke for two years. And I really thought that maybe, you know, the number of people who knew him and maybe some of the recruiting that he had done, because, you know, he is a good recruiter um, during his his years as a defensive coordinator. I thought maybe that would have some traction with more players. But as you can see, when when people are getting back channeled and they have have other colleges talking to their old high school coach about what they can make and and the grass is greener phenomenon. You can see that it even hits a school like Texas A&M that we know has uh, opportunity for playing time and opportunity to earn some NIL. Yeah, I think that's a, you know, we're in a different world. We know this right now. I, I think, you know, we the transfer portal has totally changed everything. I, for me, the biggest loss is probably losing, you know, somebody like a, uh, you know, uh, Walter Nolan, you know, uh, he was uh number one defensive tackle in the country a couple of years ago. And, and to lose guys like that, that is really, um, really tough. They're probably going to lose McKinley Jackson too, uh, to the NFL. So this is, um, you, you, the, as you start looking down the road, it really got to replenish some, some guys up front. Yeah, and I think you also have Elko seems to be a guy who takes takes care of the small details, something that maybe Jimbo Fisher hasn't been as good at. And I think they're on top of you know replenishing the talent. I think he's also going to need to do some of the blocking and tackling, not to be you know uh, too cliches in terms of the the basic coaching. One thing Jimbo was good at the details of his contract. Because he did make sure he got all the money that he could out of every show me uh, every, the money every dime. And show me it, and by the way, load it in my car. <laughs> it's, it's all about the quan or wait, coin, coin. Yes, That's yes, it. Okay. yes. Let's talk more about it now. That the bowl lineups are set, and the off season has begun. Cole Thompson back with us. He's with Fandation.com. 
Always appreciate his insights. Uh, Cole, here we are. Uh, your thoughts. You know, here's the thing, and I've talked about this all week long. When you have five power conferences, eventually this is going to happen where you have five teams that are that are you know worthy of getting in, but only four slots. So I'm almost amazed at this controversy. It took this long for this to happen. I think the crazy part, Larry, is that we waited and waited and waited for chaos to occur during the regular season, and it never showed up. You know, it was basically like us sitting at home, hoping that Santa Claus was real and that eventually we fell asleep. And when we woke up, the presents were there. Well, here comes week 14. Here comes conference championship. Down goes Georgia. Up goes Bama, which many people seem to be surprised at. You shouldn't. Alabama was playing like one of the best teams in college football at the time. But then we get into the argument of who is left out. I think the easiest plan for the college football playoff committee was one of two things. Either Alabama and Texas win, that way you justifiably can put both of them in the playoffs, and Oregon wins, that way you can leave them out and say, well, the Pac-12 cannibalize each other, or Florida State were to lose. Because at least if Florida State loses, you can justifiably say, well, your offense was anemic at times, your defense played fundamentally sound, but you did have a loss. You weren't a conference champion. We're not putting in a two-loss Louisville. So now we can actually have a four-final playoff that makes a lot of sense. From an offensive standpoint, I don't think anybody's going to argue with you. The way that Florida State looked on Saturday in Charlotte is not worthy of being in the college football playoff. But here's my argument to counterpoint it. That defensive performance that held a team that averages 33.3 points per game to less than six, uh, less than a touchdown and under 285 combined yards. That was a performance where in Grapevine, Texas, you're watching the Seminoles and saying, how do we leave them out? How do we leave them out? And, and it would be really easy for the playoff committee to go and just put themselves in a conversation and say, well, you know what? Florida State is not the same team without Jordan Travis. And you saw that in the Florida game. So instead of moving them up to the number four spot, Let's leave them at number five. Let's put someone else there and say, listen, you have to get the brownie points. You have to show a style. You have to have that flair for us to consider you one of the four best teams. But they didn't do that. They put them at number four. And then the other problem that you had was you're really going to tell college football fans that a team that won by 10 points against a Louisville roster that lost the week before to Kentucky is better than a team that won 29 consecutive games in a row and then lost to Alabama by three points. You're going to tell us that a team that nearly lost to Louisville's offense is better than a one-loss Ohio State team that has a Heisman caliber wide receiver, still an offense that's very potent and has found its rhythm and one of the best defenses in college football. So the committee was always in a lose-lose situation because you can't say that Alabama is not one of the four best teams when they beat the number one team in the country. But you also can't say we're looking at the four most qualified teams in one breath. And Boo Corrigan came out three weeks before and mentioned that. And then say, well, we want the four best teams. And then say, oh, well, Georgia's not one of the four best teams. So no matter what happened, it was always a lose, lose, lose for the playoff committee. I personally think based off of resume and based off of quality of play and on-field eye test, the four right teams did get in the playoff. But you can't say in one breath, oh, this is the way we've done things for years. They're more deserving. TCU last year didn't win its conference championship, but they were deserving. So we're going to put them in and Florida State's not. It, it really is a moot point now because of next year, all we're talking about is seeding. We're not talking about standings. And I think that's a big word that we have to realize. Status versus seeding going into 2024. 
but you do have to feel a little bit for the Florida State fans. They, they had hope, and the college football playoff committee never had to give them it because there was no justification or qualifications that says, you're an under five power five conference champion, we're going to put you in. But when you put them at four, you're giving them hope, and false hope was exactly what it came out to be. I think that's a that's a really fair assessment, and you're right. There there was a no win for the committee the way it fell out because no matter how you did it, um, I mean, my wife was one like, how do you leave Georgia out? I'm like, well, because they're the, the Alabama was the only team that did not lose an SEC game. Th- that that's how. I mean, and I think that's fair, but at the same time, you're going to look at Vegas odds, and Vegas is going to tell right. you, oh no, right. no 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 no. They're only behind. No, they still would beat Alabama head to head. You do ten times out of ten. What are we saying? Five, uh, you know, fifty fifty split, sixty forty one way. So it's like, there's your argument about where oh, Georgia's at six, Florida State at five. No way are we actually believing that kind of nonsense. But all right, sure, we'll just go with it. Yeah, yeah. What only four slots? What are you going to do? Somebody somewhere was going to get hosed. And and it was it was FSU and it was Georgia. I mean, let's and and I and you could make an argument like you said. For for Ohio State to be in there, yeah, I mean, you know, there's 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 probably seven teams that that this could that this could pass. The good thing is, that's like you said, it's not the issue anymore. And I, I here's my I want to get this thought from you. People are now saying, well, now when you expand to twelve, the conference championship games don't matter. I disagree because they still matter in basketball, although it's different. Um, but you still are going in for seating. For instance, here's why it matters: if you don't play the SEC conference championship. In 2024, with the same scenario, Georgia goes in as your one seed, and Alabama goes in as your 10 seed because they would lose, right? Because you play that one game, everything's changed. So it does matter. There is something to that. The conference championship games matter. The regular season animosity doesn't anymore. And I think that's kind of where we're lost in translation. Because if I have never been a fan of a 12-team playoff, I will stand on my laurels for as long as I live. Back in 2014, when they announced it was a 14 playoff, I kind of cackled and said, it's never going to work. Four teams is never going to pan out because there's always going to be that 15 that has the resume that can say, we belong in the match. I've said eight from the get-go. I believe eight is the right number because then eight allows you to play those quality games during the regular season and they have purpose behind them. Like Oregon being left out as the number eight seed, I don't think many people would argue that that is the best two-loss team in the country because they lost to the same team twice by the same amount of points each time, three-point differential. So there's your argument for the two lost team that would get in. But are we really going to reward Penn State a spot in the college football playoff because they're number 10, even though they beat up on everybody just like Michigan and just like Ohio State? They had the point differential just like Michigan and just like Ohio State. But unlike Michigan and Ohio State, they couldn't get the job done. Do, do we really need to see Ole Miss play Georgia a second time when they got blown out by Georgia, they lost to Alabama and they kind of were the, the Penn state of the sec. Do, do we need to see Missouri in the CFP? And do we need to see Liberty in the CFP? Like Liberty this past year had the 131st ranked schedule, according to ESPN's FPI index. And I'm not taking anything away from the flames. If I am Nina King in Durham, North Carolina, I am backing up the Brinks truck to bring Jamie Chadwell to Durham. But can you justifiably say that you really want to see them take on Alabama in Tuscaloosa on a middle of a December afternoon? Like nobody wants to see that. So yeah. the championship games matter because of that is where seeding plays a factor. And for some teams such as an Oklahoma state, they win. You can't leave them out because of they would be in the CFP, but if they lose, they're not the CFP. So right. yes, those conference championship games do matter. But the pageantry, the ambiance, the the feel of what we have 
with regular conference championship games. Those are out the window. And that's where we really reside is that the regular season is starting to lose a bit of the pizzazz. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Uh, talking with Cole Thompson, FanNation.com. I know we were talking here before we started um, about Transfer Portal. Obviously, on Monday it opened. Um, some big names there. Boy, the you know, I mean, we all were kind of shocked at the very start that uh, the McCord kid, the quarterback who was the starting quarterback for Ohio State, um, you know, has the quarterback battle beginning of the year. He wins out, and now he's gone with two years left to play somewhere else. What's interesting is I talked to some people up in Ohio State, and there were two areas that seemed to really upset uh, upset uh, uh, Brian Day. The first one was going into the game. The game, you say, it's just another game. Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. If you were, grow up in the Scarlet and Red, or you grow up in the Maize and Blue, this is not a game. Th- this is life or death. There's a reason why we put this in the Iron Bowl at its own peak in terms of tiers for rivalries, because they would rather lose in the national championship than lose to Michigan. And the same feeling goes on the opposing side. And then it came down to the two turnovers in that game. And those two turnovers ultimately were the deciding factor. If you break it down, because you score of your Michigan on the first interception. And then the last interception iced the game and McCord was not promised the starting job next year. And I think that when you look at the body of work he put in, there's a reason why he would want to have that protection from Ryan day from the committee and from the staff. So now he goes in the transfer portal and he's going to go to a school that doesn't have that same type of major accolades of if you lose to Michigan, you are viewed as a loser in our eyes. Uh, several schools that I've continued to hear, Florida State being one to monitor, Miami being one to monitor, now the Tyler Van Dykes in the transfer portal. Uh, I would not be shocked to see him go to Rutgers potentially. The Scarlet Knights are looking for a quarterback. You know, he's from the Philadelphia, New Jersey area. It makes a lot of sense of the homegrown feel. But the team that continues to pop back up and it makes a ton of sense is Nebraska. Nebraska this past year ranked 129th in passing yards per game. Here are the four schools that were worse than them. The Academy schools and Iowa, which basically is Academy school in terms of offense. They need a quarterback more than you and I need air to breathe right Right. now. And Matt Rule was a game away in year one of taking his team to a bowl game. So I do feel like if they were to add in the right passer, get a few more weapons in there, and just knowing the trajectory of what we've seen from Rule over the last few years at Temple and then at Baylor, you could be probably playing for a nine-win season. Nine wins is not enough to get you to the college football playoff, but it is good enough to have you build a baseline for 2025 when you really have seen rules trajectory kind of take place. No, that's fair. And he certainly in his you know final news conference you know, before he went out on the recruiting trail, threw the numbers out there and said, hey, today in the portal, the quarterback's going to cost you a million, 1.5, 2 million. I mean, he put it out there. That's what that's what good coaches do. Uh, what's another name that you're hearing um, a lot of buzz about right now? Dylan Gabriel. Uh, this is a guy who has one more year of eligibility, but he has, in my opinion, the most production of any quarterback in the portal right now. And I think that's a major deal because of you're looking for a player who can come in and be that plug addition to any offense and a guy who really can utilize his legs. He's good with the intermediate passes. His timing is on point. He's done a good job of upping his completion percentage and his passer rating. I think Oregon makes a lot of sense. And the reason why is because if you want that veteran quarterback going into a brand new conference, like so many people at Texas right now are flustered that Arch Manning is not going to start in 2024. And he might, but wouldn't you want to start your tenure in the SEC with a quarterback that already understands your offensive concepts and can kind of grow and build and prosper that first season to set the tone in a new conference? Or can go to the Big Ten. They're losing Bo Nix. But if you look at that kind of play style of what Nix is, 
Gabriel matches extremely well. And if Will Stein is still the offensive coordinator, they're going to have some money to spend in the transfer portal to add in some younger receivers. They still potentially could have Bucky Irving back next year in the running back room. So they may be a viable contender and a potent team to watch for in a 12-team playoff. If you get Dylan Gabriel, who's looking to up his ante in terms of being a guy who we appreciate in terms of being at the power five, can win you a championship, makes a lot of sense with the Bo Nix connection. Uh, one more name to watch for Cam Ward from Washington State. Guy's a winner. Guy has literally just been a winner everywhere he has gone from Incarnate Word to putting up insane production in Palm in the last two years. Uh, Ohio State would make a lot of sense. And the reason why is not because, well, he's a quarterback that would be in a one-year kind of rental. You have two young guys in Aaron Nolan and um, uh, Luke Krionitz who are sitting behind him. But Lincoln Creolence, my apologies. Um, but the mobility factor really has been a difference in the game the last two years is that you look at J.J. McCarthy. When he was under duress, he can manipulate his legs outside the pocket and extend drives by finding receivers as they got a second win to get open. And Kyle McCord couldn't do that. And you look back at Justin Fields, the last quarterback to win a game against Michigan, that was his MO. It was a lot of mobility. It was a lot of being able to manipulate the pocket and force defenders to fall down and give him a running lane. Cam Ward fits that. He's got a Howard servant arm. You know, he can throw the ball a country mile. Uncle Rico's best, you know, one of the finest in Napoleon Dynamite. That's what you're looking for in terms of quarterback. You get him for one year. I think that could really set the tone in the Big Ten. Exciting stuff. Um, and again, both those uh, quarterbacks, you're right, would be like you said, perfect fits in those systems uh, in the new world as we're getting into 2024. Hey, as always, I hate it when we run out of time. Uh, always good to talk with you. Great to have your insights. Uh, Cole, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Larry. All right, Cole Thompson, once again, fannation.com. He is the man. Uh, always, uh, we never have enough time. We need to like find some time just with him. Uh, try to, I don't know, like make the clock stop or something and just where he can't go anywhere else. He thinks it's only this time. And he didn't, didn't have somewhere else to ask to go. He's got to stick with us. So anyway, uh, Cole Thompson, again, check him out, fannation.com. We've got more to come after this. Keep it here. If I was your mother and you had a drug problem, I'd grab you by the ear and make you call and get help. You can be in treatment tomorrow and start to get clean in seven days. Follow mom's advice and call the Detox and Treatment Helpline now. Write this number down. 877-927-3380. 877-927-3380. That's 877-927-3380. Do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Are you being audited or investigated? Has the IRS sent you a letter demanding payment? You may not owe what they claim. Make this free call to the tax doctor now. Let them negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. 800-816-4492. 800-816-4492. That's 800-816-4492. Well, it's a big weekend. Uh, we've got the college football bowl and playoff thing set so now it's a big awards week and uh, one guy who knows all about this week uh 1996 heisman trophy winner he is the uh namesake of the danny warfel trophy of course we we're talking about uh, danny warfel is here with us right now uh former nfl quarterback florida great um and doing some amazing things uh, in our community danny uh, welcome to the show good to talk to you yeah great to be with you guys yeah i want to start with first off um get us caught up on some of the things that you're doing 
um, uh, that 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 doesn't involve uh, football. You've done a thing with ministries. Now I know you grew up in the church, uh, inspired by your dad. Um, tell us about some of the things that you're, you've got going right now in the Southeast. Yeah. Well, desire street ministries. I started volunteering with in new Orleans in 1997 as a rookie. I joined the staff in 04 and became the director in 06. And, uh, we work in under-resourced neighborhoods, primarily in the Southeast. Uh, we partner, with heroic leaders that have already uh, moved in, lived there, doing incredible work, uh, but often don't have the training, the resources. You know, when I think about my football career, Coach Spurrier really, you know, I wouldn't be here talking to you was with it not someone had invested and taught and developed me. And so Desire Street, we partner and, and work with leaders for five years in under-resourced neighborhoods. And we're in the middle of a five-year plan to impact 20 neighborhoods by 2025. So that's uh, Desire Street Ministries. Yeah, that is really cool. And I know you're based in Atlanta, um, but you're, like you said, you're going all over. Tell us about other cities that you're now involved in. Yeah, we go as far uh, west as Dallas. Uh, we've got partners in uh, Birmingham, Montgomery, a couple in Atlanta, uh, Augusta, Georgia, Orlando, Florida. It's really based more on the, the right connection. We have a lot of people that, that apply to, to partner with us. And if it's the right fit, uh, then we're we're good to go. So one question, if if somebody was wanting to help out, they, they hear what you're talking about, what steps would they go through or how would they contact, you know, the uh, Desire Street to contribute or, or you know, find some way to help? Yeah, DesireStreet.org is our website. You can get all the information there. And especially if you live in a city where we have a partner ministry, there may be some opportunities for volunteering as well. Um, so, yeah, appreciate that. Thank you. It's pretty cool. Uh, and then you've got the Warfel Foundation as well. And and we talk about trophies. Um, this is a big week for you guys uh, as well. Yeah. So uh, many years ago, uh, a group started giving away a community service award for college football. They wanted to name it after me. And I was like, there's already too many awards. So I appreciate it. But no. Uh, <laughs> but actually, the former director of the Heisman Trophy sat me down. And he said, Danny, this is a community service award. And Football could really use this. And so we started doing that years ago. Uh, it's grown. It's, it's awesome now. We had over 100 nominees of Division I college football players this year. We, uh, we've we got that down to our three finalists, uh, which is pretty amazing. We have uh, J.D. Bertrand from Notre Dame is just a beast of a player and community service. Blake Corum, also uh, running back for Michigan, had a phenomenal career uh, on and off the field. And then Lad McConkey, the receiver for Georgia. And uh, our winner is going to be announced uh, Friday night on the College Football Award shows live and interviewed. And then the winner will also join me in New York this weekend for all the Heisman festivities. The Heisman Trophy Trust wants to honor the Werfel Trophy winner. So it's a big week. We're, we're very excited. And, you know, when you look at that, uh, what are the type of activities that these players do that people don't hear about? puts them in this, you know, rarefied air to be nominated for this award. Yeah. Well, for instance, Blake Corum uh, got involved with the Turkey drive at a Ypsilanti, Michigan a few years ago. And I think they did, you know, 30 turkeys to families. Well, the second year they, they did 300 turkeys and this past year they did 600 meals and they actually go deliver it them themselves. That's just one example for Blake, you know, JD, uh, he started putting meals together for, for people in under-resourced neighborhoods when he was three and has continued all the way through. He's in charge of a, a group called Uplifting Athletes that do 
do great work. And then, you know, like Lad McConkey, there's probably not a nonprofit anywhere near Athens that he hadn't been to in the last few years. He just got quite a resume uh, of, of events that he's participating in. It's it's really built on their their body of work and community service. So these three guys happen to be phenomenal football players and great in the classroom as well, but they're really being honored here uh, for their community service. You know, usually you're either like the best player on the best team and you get press or you did something pretty stupid and you get press. In this case, we're trying to shine the spotlight on the good things they're doing. Uh, talking with Danny Werfel, again, the 1996 Heisman Trophy winner. What does it mean to you? Um, obviously, your humility comes through in everything that you do, every conversation um, that I've had with you or I've seen you have have with others. Um, you certainly, you deflect the praise. Um, but what's it mean to you to have your name associated with a trophy like this um, given to somebody who is doing this kind of work, uh, not just on the field, obviously, fantastic athletes, great uh, athletic career, um, but making a difference in their communities? I mean, it's pretty humbling. It's honoring. It's a little bit of pressure. You know, I got to really be careful how I'm living my life now that that there's a, a trophy. Usually they don't do that until like you're dead. So uh, I got to be, <laughs> be be really careful. Um, it's it's incredible that the group, if you look at the, the former winners and all the things they've accomplished in their lives, what they're doing now um, and these guys again. And it's really, you know, everybody talks about the Heisman fraternity and that's a really cool thing. We see each other each year, but the group of Werfel Trophy winners are a very special group of men. And to be a part of that is absolutely, uh, absolutely amazing. And, you know, I try to be honest with myself. I'm human too. There's like a little middle school kid inside of me that likes to hear my name called still. So I've got to keep that guy in check. Uh, but it, it's a, it's a pretty amazing thing to be a part of. Yeah, that, that that's a, a awesome achievement. Now I wanted to pivot a little bit and ask you a couple questions, especially as a Gator. How did you feel about what happened with Florida State in the CFP and obviously that jockeying of Alabama, you know, and Texas? And, and what were your assessment of that as somebody who's been involved in college football for a long time at the at the highest levels? Yeah, well, it's it's never been perfect. That's for sure. You go back. I would say three things. Uh, one. I feel really bad, actually, for for a handful of teams. I think there were seven teams that really earned an opportunity to to play in a in a playoff this year. I think, you know, look at the four that made it, but you have Florida State, I think Georgia, and and also Ohio State, also all on the field played well enough to make it. So I feel really bad for all three of those teams that didn't make it, uh, especially Florida State. I mean, that 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 would be a heartbreaking situation. Um, secondly, uh, I'm really glad that this is the last year of that system. I think, uh, these types of conversations, although they'll never, ever be perfect, they get better each time. I mean, I remember when different people were playing different teams and just claiming national titles. <clears throat> and then when we finally even went to four, <clears throat> that was a huge step up. So, uh, one, I feel bad for the teams that didn't make it Two, uh, I'm glad we're switching it. And three, I think it was really an impossible decision for that group, that committee. And I think they did the best they could. And I support the decision that they made. You, you know, it seems like this was always inevitable. You, know, you have four spots, but five power conferences. So I think it's remarkable. We made it this far before we had this level of controversy. Yeah, agreed. Um, it did take the Alabama LSU crazy BCS title game that we won't get into the history of that to do away with that system. Um, and now it took this, thankfully, 
we're about a year too late, but at least it's already in place to to move on, which is a good thing. Um, who do you, we we got to ask? Who do you like in this? I mean, it's like you said, there are seven fantastic teams. Um, we've got two really good matchups with four outstanding teams. Who do you like in this to come out uh, in the end? Man, I I don't know. Um, I think any of these teams could pull it out. I haven't seen Texas play uh, a ton, so I, I really don't feel like I can adequately, uh, you know know their their status but i just it's so hard to bet against nick saban um i just think this alabama team is peaking at the right time they've had their struggles which sometimes is actually better uh to kind of go through those early and and to kind of get a few games like the auburn one in the last minute so i think you know they're they're feeling probably pretty fortunate to even be in it so uh you know uh, i'm sure the other teams uh aren't happy that that alabama's there either yeah, nobody's ever happy that Alabama's there. <laughs> but uh, you know, w- one of the other things is we see is there's there's some dynamic candidates for the Heisman Trophy this year. Obviously, you've been in the rarefied air of one of the people who's actually won that trophy. How do you look at this year's race? Man, got some pretty electric players. Um, you know, it, it changed a lot through the year. If you go back and look at the preseason and after the first couple of weeks and even midseason, there were a lot of different names that were clearly dominating this list. Uh, I do think they got it down to the right group that's going to New York. I think all four of these players have had incredible careers. Um, you know, obviously can't say who I'm voting for. Uh, that's something that we we honor. But I, I definitely, as I'm looking at the landscape it does look to me like like Jaden Daniels had one of the most unique years, and many of the odds makers seem to be predicting that he'll be the winner, which is even more special, seeming how his team's not uh, in the playoffs. You know, a lot of times being a being in the finals at the end draws a lot of uh, allure as well to a Heisman resume. But I think I think in this case, uh, Jaden Daniels is a front runner and deservedly so. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've always, all year long, I was really a big Michael Penix Jr. fan. Uh, but I think you're right. I think you look at the numbers, in comparison, it, it, one does stand out from the others. I think we all can agree. Marvin Harrison Jr., probably the best player in college football, but may not win this award. But boy, what a future he has. Um, I, I, I do want to get really quick before we let you go. Um, listen, listen, it is rare to get a chance to sit down and spend time with a Heisman Trophy winner. What is the weekend and what is the day like for you? Um not just you know someone obviously who wanted the emotions of that, but but again, it's a it's a small one of the most exclusive clubs anywhere in the world, right? I mean, you know, what's it like to go back each year and be a part of that? Well, one of the things <clears throat> there's a lot of autograph seekers because you got all these Heisman winners, and they're not always the uh, most quality. Uh, you know, I think a lot of them are selling it basically. So uh, so you kind of try to avoid the the grown up guys with the the greasy hair, but. Uh, but then they started paying kids. So this kid followed me into a bathroom with a gator helmet a few years ago. And I was like, okay, well, who do you want me to make this out to? Because if you put a name on it, oftentimes it's harder to sell. Well, he, the kid froze, right? So I thought I had him. So I'm not signing your helmet unless you tell me your name. And he said, um, I'm sorry, sir. I have no idea who you are. I just saw that you were in that room where Tim Tebow was. And I was going to see if you take my helmet into that room and get Tim to sign it. <clears throat> So that's part of it. I'm probably like the most least famous one in the group, which uh, has its perks sometimes. But it's a great weekend. My wife loves New York. Uh, You know, there's a welcome reception on Friday night. Uh, We'll go to a Broadway show. And then the the TV show is Saturday night. You get to see all the former winners and spouses. And we get to see Coach Spurrier and Jerry, who we, we love. And 
Um, it's just a really, a really neat time. And then Sunday's the the big banquet, the gala, um, and just really get into the richness and the history of college football. And, you know, sitting in a place where you got guys like Pete Dawkins from 1966, who is one of the most accomplished human beings I know from, from his time in Army to being a Rhodes Scholar, to being a general. Um, and, you know, he's not the guy that, that went to the NFL and made a lot of money. He's on Sports Center, but he's part of this tradition and, and just an amazing guy. And just kind of go through all the list of these players and getting to kind of be around them. And uh, guys that I, you know, just followed when I was a kid and um, just a, it's an incredible experience. It's awesome. And, you know, there's so much change right now in college football. To me, this weekend, you know, the downtown athletic club in Manhattan, the Heisman Trophy is just one of those traditions that I think we all can kind of hold on to and think about. I remember when this player played or this player won or the what they did later. And you're exactly right. Danny, we appreciate you taking a few minutes out of uh, your time this week to talk to us. Have a great time this weekend. We can't wait to see Friday night. And of course, Phil's just right. Saturday. We already know the winner. Um, three outstanding. And, and and congrats and God bless and all the work that you're doing as well. It is uh, You've always been such a just a genuine uh, gentleman and we certainly appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Thank appreciate you. It. Danny Werfel, once again, he's the 1996 Heisman Trophy winner. And be sure to check out what he's doing, DesireStreet.org. And again, the Werfel Foundation, uh, they're uh, doing the Danny Werfel Trophy and a very uh, deserving young man at winning that. And certainly, again, we appreciate his time here. Stay with us. We've got more to come after this. Keep it here. Packages start at $29.99 a month with signed agreement. Restrictions apply. Speak to a representative for complete offer details. See Vivint.com for license details. Terms and conditions apply. Homeowners, if you're looking for the best in home security and smart home technology at a price you can actually afford, we have great news. Now you can get Vivint's award-winning home security systems starting at about a dollar a day. U.S. News & World Report has recognized Vivint as the best professionally installed home security system of 2022. And right now, you can get Vivint's home security technology for about a dollar a day. Plus, get free professional installation from a licensed technician. Protect your home and loved ones for as low as a dollar a day. Call right now for your free home security consultation. 800-613-8053. 800-613-8053. That's 800-613-8053. You're listening to the Aggie Guys Radio Network. On the night of August 18th, 2015, retired NFL quarterback Eric Kramer checked into a Southern California motel. His soul devastated by the accidental death of his oldest son, the death of his mother, a fatal cancer diagnosis for his father, and the end of his marriage. This was the night he went end it. He pulled out the loaded gun he purchased specifically for this moment, held it under his chin, and pull the trigger. Eight years later, Eric is still with us, miraculously without a physical trace of that horrible night. But amazingly, the emotional vacancies that led him to that near tragic decision have been filled. To see him smile and laugh and talk candidly about his journey is everything. Because Eric Kramer isn't supposed to be here. He has a new book, the title, The Ultimate Comeback, Surviving a Suicide Attempt, Conquering Depression, and Living with a Purpose. It is my sincere hope that this isn't dismissed as some football player who got beat up too much. Eric details the root of his depression in the hopes that it can help others avoid falling into that dark place that's just a stumble away for all of us. 
I've done thousands of interviews in my career. Few are more meaningful than this one because Eric Kramer isn't supposed to be here. Here is part one of our conversation. You remain the only quarterback since the 1957 NFL championship to lead the Lions to a playoff victory. Am I right? Look at that you. Is look at you smiling. That is unfortunately true, Larry, <laughs> but I think that's going to change this year. Uh, if I could, there's not a lot of life you can guarantee, but I would guarantee the Lions win a playoff game this year. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. And listen, w- we all would like to see that. I mean, yeah. I, I don't root for the Lions the way that you do, but I think that, um, you know, uh, the people of Detroit are some of the best people ever. I've always enjoyed every time I've been up there, um, you know, for personal or professional reasons. And so I totally agree with you. Uh, I mean, if you if you think Chicago is starved yeah. for a winning team of any kind, yeah, so is Detroit. Yeah. They're, I mean, it's- they're like you know, next door brothers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and getting and to your point, just keep stumbling and kind of unforced errors on the road. You're exactly right. Um, yeah, the 10 year career. And, um, I know that you, you've mentioned, you talk about in, in, in the book and, and, you know, shared in other interviews and things that, um, you know, look, everything went well. I mean, you were, you know, undrafted, you fought your way through 10 years, uh, made a name for yourself again, um, made money, did very well. Um, and seem like things were going well. You're leading that. I mean, look. I mean, who among us would not be want to be a, a handsome retired NFL quarterback who's um, you know and is financially doing well and just go play golf, do what you want to do, right? I mean, it's kind of where we all would be. Um, but I, I guess I, I kind of would like to, if you if we could dive into um, the night in the hotel. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, that um, a suicide attempt, and we're all thankful that it failed. Yeah. Um, can you, can you me me included, by the yeah, way, you include exactly. So it is, uh, I mean, if I were me at the top of that list, yeah, we're, we're talking virtually, but I would hug yeah. you if I, if I were there with you, because I am, um, I'm, I'm thankful that it didn't, it, it didn't work. Um, I, you don't have to go into too great a detail, but in, in you know, in your words, just kind of tell us kind of what happened and how you got to that point. So, um, the first time, so I, I had dealt with, with, uh, what's known as depression even as a player, meaning um, back in 1994, um, when I first went from the Lions to the Bears, that was the first team since youth football that had ever come to say, hey, we want you to be the guy. So you mentioned I didn't recruit, I didn't get drafted out of college. I didn't get recruited out of high school. So I didn't, I didn't play quarterback in high school. In fact, I wanted to, I just kept getting beat out. And then I went to a junior college. And um, in fact, the first year there, they had a guy coming back that had already had a good freshman season. So I did what they call gray shirting. So I went part time. And uh, and then uh, I from NC. So the next year I was a backup at Pierce. And then I finally got my chance to play. We we're pretty good. And so that's how I got a chance to go to NC State. But they also recruited, and two other guys went from California, junior college guys. Um, So there was no nowhere along the way did anyone say, hey, (laughs) clearly you're our guy. So (laughs) when I go to Chicago, the fact that somebody actually did that made me jump up and down in the bed one night after going there. And then literally, like, I can't believe this is happening. And it, it was the second year, I believe, of free agency. Well, the season rolls around, and 
and I'm starting, and we're, you know, I don't know, three or four games into the season, and I separate a shoulder versus, uh, I think it was uh, Minnesota. And so uh, we're probably, I don't know, it's like a six-week injury, right? So uh, four, four to six weeks, something like that. And so uh, when I was ready to play, I think I played one game and we didn't win. And then I'm back on the bench again. And so now you got, okay, I'm paying to be played or paying to play, but no. So I right. felt like right. I wasn't really. So that's the first time I ever came in line with something called depression. And so, and and, and it kind of comes and it goes in my life back then. Um, and so you're alluding to the fact of my suicide attempt. So that wasn't until 2015. And the events leading up to that, um, one of, so my my wife, my then wife and I were uh, separated. Mm -hmm. And what happened, this is back in, in this, we got separated, I want to say 2010, um, early 2010. Um, Griffin had been, that was my older son, Griffin had been in, um, in his 10th grade year of his high school years, um, went into a drug rehabilitation center, meaning he left school to go to this place called Visions mm -hmm. uh, for, I think it was, I want to say three months, so 90 days. And from there, he went to their outpatient program. So he lived at home, basically to sleep and go to this inpatient program or outpatient, excuse me. And then it was about a year, let's say, you know, 13, 14 months-ish. And I could tell uh, along the way, he went from, thank God you have me here, to at, he could see the finish line coming. And it was like, oh, that was his brainwashing. Hmm. And I said, uh-oh. Okay. So it wasn't long after that uh, that he was now back in school, which okay. he probably shouldn't have been at, and then uh, playing football, which he probably shouldn't have been doing, and um, uh, had an episode where he overdosed, um, heroin overdose, mm. uh, accidental death, nonetheless. Um it was a crushing blow to not just me, but Dylan, who at the time was 13 and eighth grade and uh, all those around. Mm -hmm. And I remember that's the saddest period of time, not even just the day itself, but that whole time period was crazy uh, in not a good way. and. Prior to that, though, that was in, what, uh, late October, October 30th, 2011. Earlier that year, on Mother's Day, my Dylan and I were um, uh, playing golf with my mom and her then-husband. Now, they're both passed away. Um, and afterward, Doug, that was my mom's husband, took Dylan uh back to their house i think and my mom and i stayed and had a little lunch or something and then as i'm walking her to the car she's like oh i'm gonna um 
I'm getting some tests back tomorrow. So what tests? Oh, I just hasn't really, I've really been feeling all that great. Let's call up the next day and says, I've got stage four uterine cancer. Mm. So there was, you know, they found an oncologist and there was some ridiculous surgery she had to have where they removed literally parts of two or three organs. So she makes it out of there somehow. Um, and then uh, sometime after Griffin passed away, it returned. And so she passed away in July 12th of 2012. Uh. And then around the time she passed away, uh, my dad uh, had some untreated esophageal, or no, he untreated acid reflux, which turned into esophageal cancer. Oh. So that was about a three year or so slow yet never ending uh, downturn. And so it just took, it was an emotional like uh, toll that was like one body blow after another, after another, after another. And it just felt like everybody was going that way rather than that way. Mm -hmm. And so I fell into a depression like I've never felt before. And uh, and I went about doing something that no one ever wants to do. Uh, and and it's I remember someone very close to me now um, saying, talking about this as, as though it was an accident. And I said, no, 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 no. It was very much planned out. How could it be an accident? Then some years went by. And then I then I got it. Then I'm thinking nobody in their right mind would ever sit down and do that on purpose with a clear head. Because depression robs you, really, of your perspective, any perspective. And so you're literally looking at life through a pinhole uh, and sometimes not even that. And so you don't, you lose, you lose everyone else's, you lose your own and everyone else's. And so that unfortunately resulted in me heading down a path to want to end my life, getting a gun, going to a hotel and actually pulling the trigger. I thought I had this whole thing researched out. And so um, nobody's more happy than me that I'm still here. And because of that, Dylan doesn't have to deal with losing a father. And other people don't have to deal with losing a friend or another type of family member. Mm -hmm. And you don't understand when you're in it how for you your suicide's over for you everyone else that knew you and knows you it's just beginning and you don't think about those things at yeah. the time you don't yeah. think about life that way yeah. now i do and um and so it was a very dark time um but now it's a very like things have gone in such a way thank thank Thankfully, for the doctors involved, 
for family members and friends. And um, I couldn't be, happy is not the right word. I couldn't be more connected and satisfied with my life today. Like this is the most complete and satisfied I've been in my life. Not that I had a bad life before, but I do feel like I have a really good perspective on me, on those around me, on life itself, and the things that are happening as a result today of that perspective. Yeah. We're talking with Eric Kramer, the former NFL quarterback. And again, the new book out is The Ultimate Comeback, Surviving a Suicide Attempt, Conquering Depression, and Living with the Purpose, as he mentioned. Um, it just came out here um, earlier, uh, just a few weeks ago in, in November. Eric, I want to ask you a difficult question. Um, because I'm a journalist, and there's probably somebody listening to this um, that is asking the same question. So forgive me in advance. Um, because there's a chance that none of us have a chance to talk with someone who's experienced what you've experienced. So my question <laughs> very is: Very good way is, to put that. Is it fair? And I, well, I, I want you to know. I mean, this is honestly from the heart. I'm That's not a very well thought, uh, thought out way to put that. There, yeah. Well, it, it 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 is, and it's um and 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 here, I guess here's here's my I have a couple of questions, and the first one is, um, I remember you you've you talk about that you were in the hotel room, you'd planned this out, you bought the gun for this purpose. Yeah. Um, you had made some phone calls, certain phone calls to say goodbye. Right. Um, you pull the trigger and then one of the people who you called then calls you. Yeah. You pull the trigger, but you're still conscious enough to answer the phone and tell what was that moment you pull the trigger, you think it's over, but you look up and you're still in the hotel room. Is that so I have no recollection of anything. Okay. Just so you know. Okay. This is stuff that was told to me. Right, right, right. So this is someone I went to high school with who was a um, officer at the Los Hills Sheriff's Department, which was literally right down the street from the good night in of all places to pick <laughs> the good night in. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. Okay. Chris, apparently I texted him and he was in the New Orleans area getting one of his sons kind of set up for college and his son, his sons went to the same high school Griffin did. Okay. And, uh, and so, um, he apparently didn't get the text cause I think he was, I don't know, out to a movie or something and saw it. And apparently I told him where I was and what I was going to do. I have no recollection of doing, mm -hmm. but apparently he called, um, he got, so he, he called, I don't know if he called the paramedics or he called the, the, um, the, the, the sheriff's department itself, but apparently he, and this is a story I got from Chris and believe me, I, it was hard for me to get this out of him. So, okay. Like, okay. What, he's like, why are you asking me about this? Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Because most don't get a chance to do that. <laughs> right. So apparently he called my cell phone and I didn't answer it. So he called the hotel and they rang my room. And apparently I did pick that up. So he, he heard me kind of gurgling. Yeah. And said, whatever's in your hand, drop it. Yeah. If there's anything in here, something like that. Yeah. And he did hear something. I guess hit the floor. Okay. 
And he's like, you know, there's somebody outside your room right now that wants to help you. So apparently I got up and walked down the steps and got in the ambulance. I, I don't remember any of that, but yeah. apparently that's what happened. At what point were you, I'm assuming, you know, and 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 this part of the book I haven't read. I've, I've read some parts of it. I can't wait to sit down and read the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as we mentioned, I just you know, right. a few hours ago said, wait a minute, <laughs> you and I have known each other on the periphery for a long time. Didn't know you had the book about this. Um, at what point did you, um, were you aware that you were still with us and you had survived it? Do you, do you know how many days or weeks that was? I really don't. I don't remember. Um, I remember I, I think I don't I think there was two so hospitals I was in, which I have no recollection of either one of them. Yeah. I I guess I was at one of the UCLA also has a brain um uh, traumatic something, head injury. And I think I was there for a couple of weeks. Um and then uh I, I do remember being there <clears throat> and I remember this woman coming in one day and basically just standing around my bed and we were chit-chatting for something and i don't i mean who is this woman and it was uh so her turned out that to be was my aunt and anna had researched this place called cns center for neuroskills over in the area that i live um like i've i've as a kid probably drove by that thing eight thousand times and never knew that's what that was uh, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a brain rehab clinic, but there is. <laughs> and so um, I went, and they have two homes as well. So I went to live at one of them. Mm-hmm. And again, here's, you know, Anna and Patrice, both of them were near a freeway. Mm-hmm. Okay. But one was more near an off-ramp. Okay. So they didn't choose that one. Okay. Thinking maybe I would wander up the off-ramp. <laughs> so, so it was a period of time where um you know again i don't recollect a lot of what happened even back then but i'm told i didn't know why i was there wow like i would literally say what am i doing here eric kramer's book is titled the ultimate comeback surviving a suicide attempt conquering depression and living with a purpose. You can find it on Amazon. And if you or someone you know is suffering from depression or contemplating suicide, please know that help is just a phone call away. Just dial on any phone, the number's 988. And that's all. And someone will answer, and we'll talk with you then. We'll have part two with Eric Kramer next week. We'll be right back. Life can be full of risks. One thing you shouldn't take a risk with ever is your family's health insurance. If you're self-employed or you now need affordable health insurance, you need to make this free call right now and see how the Health Insurance Helpline can help you get it. 800-448-0828. 800-448-0828. That's 800-448-0828.
Okay, second Saturday in December, and that means uh, it's Heisman Trophy time. Listen, we've got four fantastic candidates. You can make an argument for any of the four. Uh, Marvin Harrison, the great wide receiver from Ohio State, and the three quarterbacks, Jaden Daniels, LSU, Bo Nix of Oregon, and Michael Penix Jr. of Washington. That's the guy I've been, you know, touting, um, you know, all season long. All right, so we've got it. We've got a couple of minutes here. Um, Lay out the argument for each. Well, I'll, I'll take. Uh, you think Marvin Harrison's the best player overall, right? I, mean, I, people, I do. Yeah. I, I think Marvin Harrison's the best player in college football, but I don't think he's going to win the Heisman. And I, I don't. I'm not sure what I think. If had they had they beat Michigan, I think it's a different argument, right? I mean, you're, you're then you've led your team there. So that's why, you know, if I get, a, I think Jaden Daniels and Marvin Harrison are the two best players in college football, but Michael Penix deserves the Heisman because his team won. And at the end of the day. In my opinion, that's the most important thing. Now, I would say Jaden Daniels is the most prolific, you know, his offense. He wins. Marvin Harrison wins. I, I would not be upset at all. I'm, But my vote would go to Michael Penix. Unlike Danny Warfel, I will give you who, I, who I'm picking <laughs> for the Heisman um, in, in this thing. Now, I, Bo Nix, Bo Nix had a great year. I just think he's not even, I think he's fourth. I mean, I don't think there's any way he wins. Now, also, unlike Danny Werfel, you haven't won a Heisman, so you're under no obligation. Hey, I have a Heisman. It's just a different. It's just a little bitty one I bought. You know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So buying a, a a Charles Woodson action figure, I don't think counts. <laughs> but that's that's fine, Brad. Um, you know, I, I look at this one, and, and I I got to be honest with you. I look at Daniels all the way. I I think he had a year that that to me is Lamar Jackson esque. Not fair to compare players because they're individuals, but over a thousand yards rushing, unbelievable. I don't know, 3,900, whatever yards passing, 40 touchdowns. I mean, he has had a great year for a running back who also has a great year for a wide receiver. And it's not his fault. Brian Kelly's an idiot. So there's but nothing he can here's do the about thing. that. If he was, if he wants to win the Heisman, he's got to play defense for LSU too. Because <laughs> <And laughs> somebody should. <laughs> and Brian Kelly's not going to do it. And Brian Kelly apparently doesn't care about it. <laughs> no, he, I, I agree. He had a fantastic year. Probably had the best. I mean, best statistically he had the best year in college football, but it doesn't matter. I mean, what are they, eight and four? Yeah, but he can't, he, your, but your point I thought was a good one though. They were, I, I, they, they, they have defensive backs who are just, as they say, incompetent. And, and, you know, the poor guy, you can't blame him for the fact that there's, there's literally just some horrible, horrible play out of that position. No, and I think he's going to win. That's my prediction. It'll be him, but that's not who I would pick. Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I, I think I'm with you that I think what Penix has done for a team that I don't think they started top 10 um, preseason. And right around that. Yeah. Yeah. And they were top, top 12, top 15, whatever, but, but they just, they kept winning week in, week out, finding ways to do it. Um, He had it. He had a nice setup season, which used to, you needed that. Not so much anymore because there's so much hype in social media. Um, But I, I think I'm with you. I think that it's a voters like stats. They don't watch every single game. And when you compare the stats of the four, Daniel stands out. And I think there's no question. But one thing you know is it was we did talk about with Danny Warfer earlier that one thing I love about the Heisman Trophy 
the presentation and all the pomp and circumstance that comes with that, even though ESPN has dressed it up, made it, you know, a made for TV kind of thing, is that with all the change in college football, that's remained constant. And I think that's what makes this award so special, even now compared to past decades, is that it's such a small fraternity and it's the same thing every year when they come out and make that announcement. Yeah, no question. This is big time. I mean, this is this is the event, and and I think that's why it's um it's really cool. You know, I mean, there's no more nothing more prestigious in college football than this award, and and it's it, it you almost become like a a living legend when you win the Heisman to a certain extent. You know what I mean? It really you really do. Which is back to why you bought that Charles Woodson action figure. <laughs> this, is, this is correct, <laughs> but uh, you know, in it, his Raider jersey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, never, never, never Michigan. Um, the the interesting thing, I, I think, you know, you hit on the tradition that that cloaks the Heisman and and makes it the the prestige that makes it what it is. And I do think this year will go down as one of those years that that it's going to be. You'll look across the you know first, second, and third place, and you'll be like, oh, that, that was a tough decision. There are some years that you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, clearly, you know, so-and-so should have won. This will be a year that people look back and they'll go, yeah, there was some contenders this year. Yeah. Can I, can I make my last argument in favor of Michael Penix? Caleb Williams has a higher quarterback rating this year than he had last year. So if winning doesn't matter, then why doesn't he just win again? Yeah. He's not even a finalist. I just don't like the winning part because I had to hear for years that Joe Montana is a better quarterback than Dan Marino because he won more Super Bowls. And yet I look at the number of Hall of Famers on that 49ers team versus the Miami team. <laughs> I'm still not certain that Joe Montana, if you reverse their 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 teams, I think I think Marino would still have better passing statistics. And we will leave it there. It has been uh, so much fun these past two hours. Glad you've been with us for all of this. Um, And by the way, uh, we want to definitely, again, thank Danny Warfel. Uh, Thanks to Eric Kramer for just uh, stepping up and and, uh, just giving us his honest take of what was just a terrible experience in his life and to see how he's turned things around. Um, And again, part two of that is coming up uh, next week. So be sure to be here for that. You can catch the entire interview as well uh, on our podcast. We'll have that for you as well. For Mike and Brad, I'm Larry. Enjoy the games. Enjoy the weekend. We'll see you right back here. Same time, same place next week. See ya. The preceding program is a product of Rise Above Productions and Revision Sound. Join us next week for the latest edition of the Aggie Guys Sports Spectacular.